Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue to study through God's Word. Now, if you are looking for a church home, we would like to invite you to join us on Sundays at 1030 at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you need more information, you can find that at www.calvaryfayetteville.com or email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. You can also call us at 479-442-4634. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is concluding a short series on pro-life thoughts and values. Today's message is entitled, You Are Not Your Own, taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Over the past two Sundays, we've focused on what it means to be pro-life. Now, I almost hesitate to use that term because it is such a political term today, and this is not a venue for political statements. Uh, This is not a place where we want to debate the value of various political views, but pro-life is a statement that reflects our belief in the sanctity of life, that God created it. So the last couple of Sundays, we focused on that in light of the decision a few weeks ago of our Supreme Court uh, reversing Roe v. Wade and um, realizing that that was just a legal decision. It was not a cultural decision, meaning, bottom line, after 49 years of abortion on demand, uh, the real, the real battle in our country is just now starting. It's just now starting. Now, we've talked about what it means to be pro-life, to be, look at life, what the Bible shows us is God's perspective. We've looked at Psalm 139, a psalm of David, expressing God's love and care for us, not only all of our lives, not only from our births, not even just from conception, but how that God chose us, God knew us, even before we were conceived in eternity past. God knew of us and was providing for us even before all of that. Then last week we went back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and we, we looked at, again at the creation story, how you and I came to be, how the human race came to be. Some of the truths we've talked about the last couple of weeks uh, are these, and, and these are largely uh, unknown to the culture around us but they are true nonetheless. Uh, For instance, we are intimately known, as I said, even from before the time that we were conceived. God knew us intimately. We are purposefully made. We are not accidents. There is no accidental person or accidental birth. Every life has a purpose, and it is to glorify God. God is a sovereign God who is in complete control and who is always 
there. No matter what you're going through, God knows it. God is in control. God is at work. We talked about how the fact that God is the creator of all life, that human beings are created in his image, what's referred to often as the imago Dei, the image of God in every human being. We talked about the fact that according to Psalm 50 and David's perspective as he was inspired of the Lord, that life begins at conception. When the spark of life is ignited at conception, that from that moment, from that millisecond forward, life begins and life is sacred. And we talked about the fact also that Satan is the destroyer of life. Satan, with glee, has lived these 49 years watching babies being destroyed so that they will never fulfill the purpose of bringing glory to God in life. Now, all of these truths and more lead us to the inevitable conclusion that, that God is in favor of life and holds it sacred and that abortion is an affront, an offense to who he is and what he represents. Now, in our study today, I want to deal with one more thing that we're talking about, kind of the culture we're living in. Lord willing, we're going to move on to more expository looking at Scripture, but sometimes we have to step aside, as we have in recent days, to get, for sure, uh, a, a godly perspective on the world that we're living in. Now, today, in some ways, is going to be maybe one of the most difficult uh, for us to accept and embrace and un come to understand. So, uh, prayerfully, prayerfully, we move forward. You see, there is an expression of speech. But it's more than an expression of speech. It is a belief it is a value system that is rampant in our country today. And we are not the first ones to live it or to express it. You find it even in God's Word. We'll discover that in a little bit. But this expression, though maybe unique to our day, is one that reflects the attitude of mankind when God is not in the picture. It's seen on protest signs. It is declared through the mainstream media. It is chanted at political demonstrations. It is emblazoned across the front of clothing. And basically, there's a number of ways to say it, but maybe the most common is this simple four-word statement. My body, my choice. My body, my choice. My body, my choice. It is the mantra of those who are pro-abortion. It is a perceived declaration of independence. 
It is a statement of defiance against what God's Word teaches and against all that is holy and against all that is good. It is a pronouncement, now listen, of self-autonomy. I'm in control. I'm independent. My life is mine. Nobody else has a right to tell me what to do with it. It is a proclamation of self-autonomy with no accountability. It is an expression of value and belief that is unchristian. And as Paul tells the Ephesians, should never be named among you as proper among saints. No one, no man or woman is an island. No one is self-governing. No one is autonomous. No one is in complete control except God. And for us, especially those who claim the name of Christ, this idea of my body, my choice, should never be named among us. It is ungodly, it is devilish, and it is a reminder of the very heart of where all sin resides and flows from. Now understand, and I need to offer this disclaimer, life is full of choices, right? We do have choices. Everything to where I'm going to eat lunch today, some of you are already thinking about that. All the way from where I'm going to eat lunch today, to whom I'm going to marry, to whether or not I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ as my Savior, everyone has choices. And it has been said that life is made up of the sum total of the choices that we make. And in many ways, that's true. You are today the product of the choices you made during the course of your life. Bill Taylor, your decision to marry Myrtle was the second best choice you ever made. The first one was giving your heart to Jesus. <laughs> and I want to say for you men here, the same is true for you. Now, for you women, I'm not going to say it's necessarily the same there. My wife marrying me was a disastrous choice on her part, but now she's stuck with me. God bless her heart. Pray for her. We all make choices, and God gives us choices, do we not? The Lord says in His Word time and again, I set before you both blessing and cursing. Which way are you going to walk? Choose you this day whom you will serve. So we all have choices to make. So what's wrong with this idea, my body, my choice? It's because that phrase, those four words, are describing specifically not just for women, we'll discover later, but for many, their declaration of independence from culture, from God, from everything else. And so from this point forward, in this message today, 
when I use the term choice, I'm using it as an abbreviated form of that doctrine or that idea of my body, my choice. I'm going to live an autonomous lifestyle. Nobody will tell me what to do with my life. When I use the word choice going forward, I'm talking about that evil, okay? So please understand and don't confuse the two. Four reasons that choice, <clears throat> choice is not Christian. Number one, choice reflects an obsession with self. <clears throat> choice reflects an obsession with self, with me, with what I want in life. In a 1992 Supreme Court case, Judge Anthony Kennedy, who had been presented and nominated and approved as a chief or as a justice in the Supreme Court, as a conservative, as a conservative, gave what has been called the notorious mystery passage. It was seemed to be not in keeping with his philosophy. It was a mystery passage, and this is what he said. Listen closely to this quote. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. At the core, at the heart of liberty is the right to define for myself, me, for myself, what my existence means. What is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of the universe? And what is the mystery of human life? Now, if you wanted to search for a description of the choice mentality today, of the my body, my choice uh, philosophy, you'd search in vain to find a more apt description than those words by Judge Kennedy. Kennedy gave language to this age's turn to self as the ultimate authority. Although the Constitution Although the founding of our country referred to we are endowed from our Creator, that our Creator is the one who made us and who is forming us into a nation from that philosophy, he somehow interprets later on that every one of you have the right to interpret life any way you want to interpret it. And I want to tell you that abortion is the fruit of a culture that cannot live for or even imagine anything meaningful beyond myself. It is the ultimate selfish decision. It is the cost we pay to ensure the self-will will not be burdened by the consequences of our choices. That we can make 
bad decisions. We can make choices, but we can always go and get rid of the result. It is the ultimate expression of that kind of self-focused, self-obsession of life. For those who know their Bible history, you know that we're not the first generation to live that way, right? Don't you remember that two times in Judges 17 and Judges 21, when the children of Israel had been cared for by God and provided for in the wilderness for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land, being fed daily with bread from heaven, with being provided miraculously water from a rock or bitter water made sweet and good. For 40 years, the Bible said their clothes did not wear out, their sandals did not wear out, and when they got to the promised land, God drove out ahead of them those people uh, that would stand in opposition to them. God was providing for them, but within one generation, the Bible says in the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's our generation today. Everyone desiring to do what is right in his own, in her own eyes. And that should be something that should never be spoken of Christian people like you and like me. It should never be our philosophy, our desire, our passion to do whatever we have to do to have complete control ourselves, autonomy apart from God, accountability to one another, that this is how God has called us to live. Uh, before I move on to the second point, and second, third, and fourth will be shorter than number one, can I remind you of something else that I believe is a great illustration of this? The consequences of this? Do you remember that when Jesus died on the cross, as we sang a little while ago at Calvary, that when Jesus died on the cross, there were several miraculous things that took place while he was on the cross and when he died. For instance, there was darkness in the middle of the day, like night. Uh, there was uh, an earthquake that came at the moment of his death and it opened the graves and a number of people got their life back, were resurrected from the dead. So there were some miraculous things that were evidences, so much so that one of the centurions that was guarding there that, that had uh, been there to, uh, uh, to try to keep the peace and who was the ones, the executioners of Jesus, one of them at the time of his birth or of his death said, truly he was the Son of God. God manifested himself in a variety of ways. But one of the greatest miracles that's often overlooked took place maybe a mile or so away from, from Golgotha, maybe not that far. It took place in the temple. Do you remember what it was? The moment of Jesus' death, do you remember what took place inside the temple? Now, inside the temple, remember there was the holy place that was the majority of the space, and then there was the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the altar was. And it's where the, uh, the mercy seat was. 
it's where was, was kept um, that Ark of the Covenant that had been carried through the wilderness. That is a place where sacrifice was made. But remember, it was only sprinkled with blood one time a year and only by the high priest and only on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. Okay? Only, only time. That what separated from the, the Holy of Holies from the holy place was this very heavy, very thick, double-walled veil. It was woven very thickly. It was so thick, it was so dark that the very light of God's presence, now remember, God came to dwell inside the Holy of Holies. That the light, the Shekinah glory of God, the light of God's presence, could not shine through it and be seen in the holy place. It separated God from man, except for that one time a year when the offering, when sin was, uh, offering for sin was made by the high priest. Well, at the moment of Jesus' death, that veil was rent. It was torn from the top to the bottom. Now, it doesn't say this, but I believe by the very hand of God. It was ripped from top to bottom, and that veil thrown back, signifying that the way into God's presence was now open and available to everybody. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. That is, that, that's glory. That's that's joyful just to think about that. Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that extensively. That before we had to go through the mediator of a high priest. And those high priests year after year had to go into God's presence for us. Why? Because we couldn't go there. But now everyone, the smallest and the greatest to the least, can come into the presence of God. For as Paul tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men and it is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, you know that story. If you've been around you studied your Bibles, you know of that great truth. But here's what I want to say to you about this whole idea of choice about this obsession with self. God has opened up the veil of the temple. The throne room, the holy of holies in heaven is open and available to you. But you and I, in place of that original veil, we are guilty of weaving together another veil that replaces it. And this veil that you and I weave together is much thicker. It is much darker. It is much more impenetrable than that first veil. This is the veil woven together with the threads of the self-life. Self-love. Self-seeking. Self-interest, self-justification, 
self-confidence, self-esteem, self-made, self-centered, self-conscious, self-pity, and on and on the list goes. And some of those things obviously are not all bad until they get out of balance. Can I say to you that the threads of your self-life will hide God's face from you. It will hide God's face from you. It will separate you from God. And can I say this as a side note without just being perceived as meddling into your business? But as a side note here, almost everything, almost everything about social media today only promotes the self-life. The self-life. This is my new profile picture. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm at. This is what my lunch looks like. How do you like my new this, my new that? And we feel like we have to tell the world as though the world cares. If we would spend half as much time seeking God's face than seeking to promote our faces on social media, we would all be more mature in our faith and closer to God in our walk. The threads of the self-life. Today the church doesn't sing, this generation doesn't sing how great thou art, but how great we aren't. And to all of that self-life and obsessing with the self-life, what does Jesus say about it? Well, among other things, he says this in Matthew 16. If anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself or herself, take up his cross or her cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a person if he or she gains the whole world and forfeits their soul? Or what shall a man or woman give in return for their soul? My friend, I don't care how many likes you have of the last thing you posted. I don't care how many friends you have. The self-life will keep you out of heaven. The self-life will hide God's face from you. The self-life will come between you and God to the point that you can no longer see Him nor know His will. Choice, choice is an obsession with self. I'll basically mention these in passing because they are just extensions of that. Number two, choice is motivated by pride. 
It is motivated by pride. Listen to this passage from Isaiah 14. It is a prophecy against the king of Babylon. It is a prophecy against Nebuchadnezzar. Now listen to what the Lord says. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you were brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with pride. Let me ask you a question. Does that passage sound like anybody else to you? Have you ever read that passage in light of it being a prophetic utterance about somebody else also? That at least in appearance, it has a comparison. You know who it is? Satan himself. Lucifer, the bright morning star, the anointed cherub that covereth, the worship leader of heaven, was not content with remaining with his place. I will ascend to the throne of the Most High God. I will take over. I will be like the Most High, and he was cast down. Understand, pride is the very heart of all sin. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It is the first sin. It opens the door to all others. It is an attitude that, that God hates, according to Proverbs 6. It closes your heart to God. It leads to destruction. So while choice is an obsession with self, understand that it is motivated by pride. Number three, choice is idolatry. It is idolatry. Do you remember Satan's overtures to Eve in Genesis chapter 3 as he tempted her to disobey God and uh, choose a different way? You remember, we, we don't know how long that temptation lasted. It may have just been one encounter one afternoon. It may have happened over months or years. But finally, he got her to doubt the Word of God. Did God actually say? And so when she began to doubt God's Word, then he could plant the seed of a full-blown lie. You will not die God's holding out on you. So what did she do? She looked at the forbidden fruit once again, saw that it was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was something to be desired to make one wise, to know good and evil. And so she took of it, and she ate, and she gave some to her husband. I believe this statement sums it up. Finally, weakened by unbelief, enticed by pride, and ensnared by self-deception, she opted for autonomy and disobeyed God's command. 
And that's what my, God, uh, my body, my choice is all about today. It is to opt for autonomy, to live by my own wisdom. What did Eve want? She wanted something that appealed to her. She wanted something that was forbidden to her. She wanted to be like God. She wanted wisdom that was beyond what she had. She wanted to be in control of her life. She wanted autonomy, and she went for it. My friend, that is idolatry. Tim Keller says this, What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say, If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Calvin called idolatry, or he said about our sinful hearts, that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. <laughs> we create our idols day by day, oftentimes many times a day. My friend, to talk about rights and choices may seem neat and painless. It may make sense to an unbelieving world, but when that right and when that choice demonstrates itself in a violent act that reduces a living human entity with a beating heart and a functioning brain, when it takes a living person, though unborn, a living person, and reduces it to a puree of blood and bone, that is sin. It's idolatry gone mad. It is no different than the worshipers of Baal that would take their live children and burn them to death in the altar of their worship of Baal. It is idolatry. Not only that, let me close with this thought here, and I want to tell you a story and read our text, and we'll be through. Choice is the God of this age. It is the God of this age. But I want to suggest to you that Peter described this age well when he talked about this in 2 Peter chapter 2 and said, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And those who are obsessed with self, my body, my choice, filled with pride, completely enslaved to uh, their own idolatry. That has become their God. Choice is the false God of this age. But can I say to you, now listen and hear me, this is where you need the prophetic vision of seeing and understanding. Choice is just the tip of the iceberg. The whole issue is not abortion. 
The bigger picture is, it is, is this. It is life apart from God. And abortion and choice, my body, my choice, is just the tip of the iceberg. For marching alongside and behind the pro-choicers are others who advocate the my body, my choice belief system in different ways. You'll find the homosexual agenda. You'll find the transgender crowd. And though as of yet it may seem to be almost unspeakable, understand where this my body, my choice, homosexual, transgender agenda is going. Before long, they will be advocating pedophilia without punishment and without any kind of accountability. My body, my choice is just the appeal to however you want to live your life, whatever kind of sin you want to live for. Professor F. Lagarde Smith says this, abortion is a rally cry for the freedom to do whatever one pleases. Pro-choice is about unrestricted moral choice. If you can take life in the womb with impunity, without punishment, what can you not do? When you are sexually free, you are free indeed. Abortion has become the contraceptive of choice. It's little wonder that abortion has become the poster child for unfettered moral license across the board. A number of years ago, a 16-year-old girl growing up in a very small town member of, very, of a very small Missionary Baptist Church had had about all of the restrictions, all of the strict lifestyle and home life that she wanted. At her first opportunity, she ran away and married a man several years her senior. It had disaster written all over it from the start. He took her 2,200 miles from her home in North Arkansas to live with him there. It lasted probably six, seven months. He was abusive verbally and physically, and she knew for her own safety she had to get out of that relationship that God had never led her into to start with. One problem, she had nowhere to go but back home. And she was now 17 years old, barely, and pregnant. To go back to a strict missionary Baptist home, missionary Baptist church, in a small North Arkansas town that seemed like almost more than she could possibly do.
But to all of the mistakes she made, she valued life. She was not raised in a culture of death. Though abortion was available, she could have taken that route. She chose not to. She chose to own up and to do what she needed to do. Nine months later, she went into labor on Easter Sunday, 1953. Somewhere in the wee hours this morning, I made my first appearance to this world. I'm certainly no blessing <laughs> to this world. But I'm thankful I was given the opportunity to fulfill my purpose in life. I'm thankful that that rebellious teenage girl recognized and realized the truth of 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, where Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. To declare my body my choice in light of the words of God the Holy Spirit from the very throne room of God is maybe the most rebellious, though maybe you didn't ever intend that, never thought of it that way, it is the most rebellious, it is the most self-glorifying, it is the most prideful, idolatrous statement a child of God could ever make. Beloved, we need to think biblically, right? And live biblically. We are not our own. We belong to God. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for the way that you have worked in our lives to bring each of us to a point in time like this. We were born for days like this. May we be faithful in this age as individuals, as families, as the Calvary Baptist Church, to stand for what is right and what is good, and to point people to Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. 
If you live in northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.